I'm Jim Jeffrey, one of the pastors here at Chapel Point, and um, I'm just uh, grateful to be a transformed follower and be a part of this community. So if you're worshiping with us here in the worship center or in the, the chapel, the gym, also worshiping online, or you're at Byron Center today, actually we have a site in Holt where we are also worshiping together. Wherever you are joining in, we're just glad to have you here as a part of this community, a part of this body of Christ. And we are in a two-part series uh, about uh, building a one-flesh marriage, and we're going to jump into that today. Um, I want to ask you this morning a question. Are you building or remodeling your marriage? Um, maybe you are a, a, an engaged couple, or you're newly married, um, or you are uh, just a, a, a newlywed couple, and you're just, you're just under that construction, and I hope you're starting out strong together, and this message will help you and benefit you in that. You might be in a remodeling phase in your marriage. So the structure is good, but there's some things you want to change and improve, and that's good. We all need that, by the way. We all need that in our marriage. You may be one of those couples, and you're, you're in a DIY where you're trying to do it yourself, and things have gotten a little bit dicey in that, and you're really needing to have a little bit of help in, in doing that, marriage recovery kind of thing. We want you to know God has help and hope for you to be able to have your marriage go in, in a very different direction, and I hope that today you're ready to encounter the living God through his word. Because one flesh involves building an intimate relationship in marriage. And that is God's design and that is God's desire. I'm going to have you stand with me. We're going to read a passage of Scripture together. We're actually looking at several passages today. I'm just going to ask you to stand for one. Um, and this passage is really in the context of Jesus' teaching. He had just given the Beatitudes, which talks about how to live a life of blessing in his parables. And he's giving us wisdom for life. So I want you to notice what he says in this, this uh, end of his message, the, the conclusion and application. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Anyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and he laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood rose, the stream broke against that house and couldn't shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground, like on sand, without a foundation. And when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. This is the word of God. You may be seated. I want you to notice in the story that Jesus gives, both houses face storms. And I want you to know, a godly, Christ-centered marriage will face storms. A marriage that is not built on that foundation will face storms. And the difference is how the storm affects it. The foundation changes everything. We'll all face storms. Some of them will be physical difficulties, financial challenges, conflict. It can be parenting issues. It can be uh, relationship issues. You will face storms in your marriage. I'll tell you, my wife and I have been married 50 years this last July, and, and we face storms throughout our marriage, and you will. I'm not here to say that, that a Christ-centered marriage means there'll be no difficulties, but the difference is you have a foundation, and the foundation Jesus is talking about, the foundation is not only hearing his word, but actually appropriating it, applying it to life. Friend, it's not what you hear, but what you do with what you hear that's going to make that foundation and that difference. And so... The key is that obedience and application of the wisdom of Christ. So last Sunday, Pastor Joel was talking about the, the covenant 
relationship and how marriage is a covenant. And so the first thing I want you to see from the Word of God today is the foundation of your marriage needs to be established on a covenant commitment. Ephesians 5, 31 to 33 is a, another key passage. Watch as, as we, as we, and follow as we read this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. He's quoting from Genesis 2.24, which is the key verse in the entire Bible about marriage. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. So the foundation is the idea of a, of a covenant relationship between a man and a woman and God. That's the foundation. A foundation is that which gives stability to a building. Right outside these walls, there's foundation being laid for the addition to our building here. And you understand, don't you, that the foundation is that which will stabilize that. In the story that Jesus told, there was not a solid foundation under one, and the storms destroyed it. There was a solid foundation on the other, and it could withstand the storms. The, the foundation also gives the shape of that building. The foundation establishes the stability and the shape. And so you need to understand that the key idea in the Bible of marriage is that it is a covenant relationship. Uh, Pastor Joel showed a, actually a, a piece of plywood and how the, the Bible actually talks about leaving father and mother to establish a new family um, structure and how we're to cleave to one another. And that word means to laminate your lives together. He had the plywood up here to illustrate that. And so it's, the two have become one in a unique relationship like no other. And then to become one flesh, we're, we're actually the intimate oneness that God designed marriage to have. Paul described this in Ephesians 5 as a mystery. And some of you may be saying, yeah, marriage is really a mystery to me. No, I want, to, I want you to understand what he meant by mystery. Mystery means something that, that wasn't known, that couldn't be known, that God has now revealed. So mystery means this was something we wouldn't have known, couldn't have known. God's now made it known. And so the mystery of the relationship between Christ and his church, the oneness that the believer shares with Christ, parallels by the oneness and the intimacy of marriage. Friends, marriage is a covenant relationship. A covenant relationship. It is not a relationship of convenience. It is not a relationship that the culture gets to tell us how it ought to be. Since the 1960s, we have entered into a time of great social experimentation with marriage, trying all kinds of things, living together outside of marriage, homosexual marriage, easy divorce and marriage. Actually, there's states now that are have passing laws to have multiple partners in one marriage. It is, it's a time of just absolute insanity when it comes to marriage. Well, friends, I want you to know, God, the creator of all, designed marriage, and he says marriage is a covenant relationship. It's a relationship between God and two people, and it's to be entered into that way. You know, in, in Genesis chapter 2, we read the story of how God created Adam, and then he created Eve and brought her to, to Adam. And they, they had the very first marriage in the Bible. Matter of fact, God was the one who was the officiating um, I, I can't call God a clergyman, but he officiated the first wedding, okay? God's the one who said that. Genesis 2.24 was the marriage covenant. And they had a perfect relationship with God and a perfect relationship with one another. 
They were in a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden. I want to tell you something, though. There hasn't been a perfect marriage since then. Because Genesis chapter 2 is followed by Genesis chapter 3. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, rebelled against God, what happened instantly is that they experienced brokenness and separation from sin. They were separated from God and hid from God, but they also hid from one another. And they accused God, Adam did, and they accused one another. So conflict and brokenness has been the part of every marriage since then. Friends, that's the bad news, but here's the good news. God makes a promise in the garden of a coming redeemer, Genesis 3.15. God makes provision in the garden of a sacrifice and clothes them with animal skins. And God had a plan that would not only change people's lives, but would renew and re restore marriage. That was God's design. And that's what God wants to do. He wants to take the brokenness in our marriages and turn them into something really beautiful for him. Uh, how many of you here are married? Raise your hand if you're married. Okay. If you didn't raise your hand, I want to say to you, this message is for you too. But some of you may someday be married and you ought to be concerned and prayerful about other marriages that are represented here. You know people that are married. You need to pray for them. You need to encourage them to be able to have a solid foundation in Christ and doing that. The second thing we find, not only the foundation, but the structure of that marriage. So Proverbs 24, another wisdom passage in verses 3 and 4, look what it says, using this illustration of a, of a house. Proverbs 24, 3 and 4, by wisdom, a house is built, and by understanding, it's established. By knowledge, the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Notice these three words as it's on the screen there. Wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. Knowledge is truth from God, truth that has been revealed by God so that we can live in relationship with him and know him. That's what knowledge is. Understanding is the insight into the meaning of that knowledge. When the light goes on, you say, oh, I get it. I understand what that means. And wisdom is the application of the knowledge and understanding for skillful living. The goal of learning in a Jewish background or in a Christian background is wisdom. That's why he gives it first. He says wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. In our culture, knowledge seems to be enough in itself, just having the right information. But in a biblical sense, for a believer in Jesus Christ, the, what we, we are learning not for information, but for transformation. We want truth in relationship with God. We want insight and understanding. We want the wisdom to be able to apply that to our life. And when it comes to marriage, we need to know the truth, understand the truth, and then apply it within our relationship. You know, um, Recently, I, I purchased something for my, our garage at home. It is a retractable air hose reel. I've always wanted one of these. Guys, it's great. I don't have to wind it up. It doesn't get all kinks in it. A retractable air hose reel. And when I opened the box, I, I said to my wife, I'd like to buy one of these. It's okay to make it my birthday present and my Christmas present all in one. Really happy with that. When I opened the box, there was a manual in it. And the manual had this written on the outside. Catch this. Read before use and keep for future reference. Read before use and keep for future reference. This is the owner's manual for life and for marriage. Read before use, keep for future reference. Guys, I gotta admit that for many, many years, Christmas time I was assembling toys for our kids, or sometimes I would be, I'd be uh, 
trying to put together a piece of furniture for my wife, and I would set aside the owner's manual, the directions, to my own shame. And there were times things got broke or I had to totally disassemble and start over again. Why? Because the owner's manual gives you the knowledge and the understanding and the wisdom that you need. If you're going to be able to create that structure in your life, listen, if you're building a house, you need a blueprint, and God gives us the blueprint. Here's what the, here's what the Word of God gives us in the wisdom in terms of how we are, think about the structure of designing our marriage with biblical wisdom. The role of a husband and the role of wife is defined in the Bible. We can't understand love apart from the God of love who teaches us what love is, how to protect our marriage, how to be able to communicate with one another. Friends, communication isn't easy. It's complicated. And the Bible helps us understand how we can communicate. Managing conflict. You will have conflict in your marriage, but how do you manage it so you grow personally and in your relationship? The physical relationship. Finances, major problem in a lot of marriages. Parenting issues, problem solving, forgiveness. How do I live as a husband or a wife as in, in a servant, loving, caring way within my marriage? Friends, I want to tell you, this is the owner's manual. Go to it. Let it be able to speak to you. You need to keep learning about marriage over a lifetime. I am still learning about my wife and still learning about marriage. First Peter 3, 7 says, Husbands, dwell with your wife in an understanding way, which means keep learning. Keep learning about marriage. Keep learning about her. And by the way, guys, I just want to say, about, about the time you think you've got to figure out, she changes. And so just keep learning, keep learning, keep learning, keep learning, okay? Next thing is decor. You need to furnish your marriage with Christ-centered relationship. Furnish your marriage with Christ-centered relationship. And here's a passage on that from the wisdom of God from the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 12. I want you to notice I read this, how he uses and plays off the number two and the number one. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who's alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So he changes at the end, moves from two to one to three. Notice in the beginning there, it says two are better than one for they have a good reward for their toil. Toil is hard work. That's what it's talking about. And marriage is hard work. Marriage takes toil. Marriage takes intentionality to be able to make it work. Interesting, the verse before this passage talks about a man who's a workaholic who has no relationship, but there's no end to his toil. And he's saying that person winds up with an empty life. So there's working at your work and there's working at your marriage. Husbands and wives, if you worked as hard on your marriage as you did on your career, it would make a difference. If you worked as hard on your marriage as you did in your business, so he's talking about toiling, working on your relationship intentionally. Now, I want you to notice as he talks about this, the decor of your marriage needs to be furnished in a Christ-centered way. Two, one, two, one, two, one, a threefold cord. A threefold cord represents three people, two, three individuals like uh, uh, three strands of a, of a rope that are entwined together and that are stronger because of that. 
So though he talks about two, now he's saying three. And I think Solomon is intending that we understand this is God in the midst of that relationship, whether it's a friendship or it's a marriage. So center your relationship on Christ. Now he gives to us in this passage three benefits that will come from doing that. Three benefits. One, he says there will be support. He said, if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him that's alone when he falls and has another to lift them up. Have you ever been walking on ice in the winter? We get a lot of that in West Michigan after this time of year. And, and you begin to slip and somebody grabs you and keeps you from falling. Well, we need that kind of support in our relationships. There's times of discouragement, times of challenge, times when you're struggling and your mate can lift you up. And when they're struggling, you can lift them up. One of the things that working at a Christ-centered relationship, making that the decor of your relationship, is you get that benefit of support. Here's another one. He talks about the benefit of warmth. If two lie together, they keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? You know, in the, in the arid desert-like um, uh, region of Israel, there's times when people would be, would be kind of camping out and sleeping, and they would get very cold when the sun goes down, and they would huddle together to stay warm. There isn't a man in this place that's married that hasn't felt his wife's icy feet reach across the bed and touch his heels in the middle of the night. You know what I'm talking about, guys, right? Hey, there's a warmth in relationship. This world is a very cold and personal place. And you might come in from your day and you're just exhausted and weary and drained. But if you work at a Christ-centered relationship, you'll not only have the support for one another, but you'll have the warmth and the affection of that relationship. If you work at your relationship a Christ-centered way, you'll look forward to getting home and being together. I tell you, I, I, I do, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for that. Here's another thing, protection. He said, um, though a man might prevail against one who's alone, two will withstand him, but and a threefold cord's not easily broken. In other words, if you're walking down a street and somebody comes up who's going to attack you, two can defend Two are better than one. There is a protection spiritually. There's a protection morally. There's a protection in life from having that kind of relationship. You investing in that, creating the decor of a Christ-centered relationship changes everything. So what does that look like? It means husbands and wives need to pray together. Now, you hear that a lot, but I want to give you a, a very practical thing because there's couples right here this morning that don't pray together out loud ever. And you may have never done that. I'm talking to you right now. I'm saying to the husbands in this room, sometime later today, and your wife will be waiting for it because she's sitting in this message with you, grab her hand and say, we're going to pray. I'm going to pray one sentence. That's all you do, one sentence. And then you squeeze her hand, and it's time for her to pray one sentence. She squeezes your hand, you pray one sentence. Squeeze back again, one sentence. Two sentences, that's all you do. Just talk to God. Don't try to impress each other. God's not impressed with a stained glass window voice. Don't try to talk like you're the preacher. Just talk to God from your heart. And you do that, you'll find after a while, it may become two sentences. And learn just pr something about praying together. Praying together. Share your spiritual journey. Share with one another what is God doing in your life. I, find out, I found out that in, in our marriage, my wife wasn't impressed with the deep stuff I was studying and preparing for a sermon, but what she did want to know is what God was doing here. She called it sharing the cookies with her, sharing the cookies, telling what God's been doing in my own spiritual journey means a lot to her. Worshiping together like you're doing today, 
serving together, being in a small group together, all of that will help you to create this decor to furnish your marriage with a Christ-centered relationship. And then fourth, you need to build memories to enjoy your marriage with loving intimacy. Enjoy your marriage with loving intimacy. You know, a house becomes a home when it's filled with memories. When I think about the different homes that we've lived in over 50 years of marriage, I can, what I remember about them isn't just the, the design of the house and, and the furniture of the house. What I, what I think about is the memories that we had there, the interaction with one another, the interaction with kids and other people. It's, it's like the pictures of the wall in your marriage that you, you build that. And a marriage becomes better, friends, with loving intimacy, loving intimacy. Now, the Song of Solomon is also wisdom literature. And the Song of Solomon is actually a celebration of the intimacy of marriage. When I was in Bible college, I had a wonderful professor, and he taught the Song of Solomon. And at the end of that class, you would think that it was only about Christ and the church. I want to tell you that that's a, that is a New Testament truth that we do get. But the Song of Solomon is about intimacy and marriage. That's what it's about. Matter of fact, Jewish rabbis would tell young men, don't read that book until just before you get married. Because they knew what it was about. They understood the nature of it, Okay. So here's a couple of verses from Song of Solomon, the same verse twice in the book. Song of Solomon 2.16, my beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes, which means he feeds his flock among the lilies. Same verse in chapter 6, verse 3, I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine. He grazes, feeds his flock among the lilies. That I think is the essence of what you'll find in the Song of Solomon. There is this sense of belonging. It's an exclusive relationship between a husband and wife, not shared with anybody else. Marriage is the most intimate, personal relationship of all. And it's not shared with others. It's only with one another. And in in the physical and the emotional relationship that God has designed it to be, that loving intimacy. I am, my beloved is mine and I am his. So it's exclusive, but it's also this sense of belonging. When you're married, friends, you belong to your partner and they belong to you. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 talks about the fact that when you get married, you're kind of handing the title deed of your body over to your mate. And that's not to be an abusive thing, but it's to be a loving thing, that you belong to one another in an exclusive and intimate relationship. But it's also talking about enjoying physical intimacy in marriage. I want you to know that sexual intimacy is God's design. Satan didn't come up with it. The world didn't discover it. It's God's design. God's the one that came up with that. And he designed it according to Scripture, not only for procreation, so that we could could have children, but also to be able to actually physically act out the covenant of marriage and for pleasure, to be able to enjoy each other. In the Song of Solomon, you really get the clear idea if you read this book that they really enjoyed each other a lot, and they enjoyed their relationship with one another a lot, that there was an emotional connection that they had. They they actually verbally affirmed each other's body. They actually, in poetry, described each other's body in detail and were complimentary about that. Don't criticize your mate's body. It doesn't help this area of the relationship, okay? The shared activities that they did, the creativity that they brought to this part of their relationship, it's all there in the Song of Solomon. What's interesting, what's interesting is that both the husband in this marriage relationship and the wife 
pursued one another and initiated the intimacy of marriage. It wasn't just the husband, wasn't just the wife. Now, if you haven't figured out, men and women are wired up very different this way. Men are like a light switch, doesn't take much, and they are visually stimulated. God wired us that way, ladies, you just got to understand. No, we're not animals, God just made us that way, okay, like a light switch. Women are like plugging in a curling iron. It takes a little longer. Guys, got to understand this. And while men are stimulated visually, women are emotionally. That's why romance and emotion matter so much. That's why if you just had a knockdown, drag out fight before, she's not going to be interested, okay? She can't. She's not wired that way. That's why keeping peace and healing the relationship matters a lot because God's wired her that way. That's God's way God's made her. But you need to know that, that God has put that desire for that pleasure in both of you. And it's not wrong. Listen to Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It's a very concise verse, powerful verse in Scripture. Marriage is to be honored above all, among all, and the marriage bed undefiled. The marriage bed is not talking about a piece of furniture. It's talking about sexual activity in marriage. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Adultery is someone having sex with someone outside of their partner, outside of their married partner. Fornication is an umbrella word that covers everything that, that Moses lists in Leviticus 18, everything from incest to bestiality to premarital sex to all kinds of other kind of deviant sexual behavior. And God says that's fornication. It's a word, by the way, from which we get the word pornography, pornea. And that is outside of God's design. God said sex only in marriage, but within marriage, God says, this is good, enjoy it. It's one of my gifts to you. Enjoy it. That's why it's sometimes even hard for Christian couples who get married saying, you know, you shouldn't do this before you're married, and all of a sudden you enter into covenant, now you should do this, and God's saying it's fine. Yes, he does, and yes, you should. Okay? That's God's design. That's his plan. There has to be an emotional connection. There needs to be verbal affirmation. There needs to be sharing that together, sharing it together. Now, I want to just say, I think there's some side rails on this. We need to understand nothing that violates the conscience of your partner or physically harms them or pollutes the relationship by bringing pornography or something else into the marriage is really God's design. Matter of fact, it's going to make things worse. Nothing that violates the conscience, physically harms, or pollutes the relationship with bringing sinful exposure into it. No other person should ever share in that relationship. It's just for the two of you. It's God's design, friends. It's God's design. But within those rails, within that, God says, this is for your enjoyment. This is for your enjoyment. There's some things you need to do to invest in your relationship. If you're going to have an intimate relationship, not just physically but emotionally, you need to plan to be able to invest in the relationship. Here's three time-related things that my wife and I have learned really help us. One is daily, one is weekly, and one is quarterly. And I want to just make some suggestions to you. These are like investing in the intimacy of your marriage, investing in it. We call it a daily huddle. I, I like the fact that my wife likes football. Man, I'm blessed with that. She watches football with all the time. She understands it. She gets into it. Uh, she cheers. She, I mean, she gets the popcorn ready. We just have a great time watching football. Well, so we use the metaphor of a huddle. The huddle means we go into the backfield of our marriage and we spend time every day talking about our day, talking about how we're doing, talking about how we're doing together, talking about our plans, 
What's God teaching us spiritually and pray together briefly? Sometimes it's only 15 minutes. Other times it'll go a half hour longer. Now that we don't have any kids in the home, it's kind of unlimited. It's kind of fun. So daily huddle. It's an investment. Second thing, a weekly date. Uh, we didn't do this early in our marriage, but then I said, you know what? It was so much fun dating before we got married. Why would we stop? Why would we stop? And so we actually have a weekly date, and we've done it for years. When we had kids at home, we couldn't afford to go to a restaurant every week. So what we would do, because, you know, going to a restaurant, you're paying for the restaurant, you're paying for the tip, you're paying a babysitter, which is like having an Uber driver with just the, the money is just kind of spinning as you're in there. It's harder to relax. So... What we did is we said three times a month, we will have a date at home, and once a month, we will go out for dinner. And so we would do that. We would feed the kids, we'd, we'd give them some activity to do, and we would have dinner together, candlelight dinner for two. And I remember those times being really special. Every week, we would have a date, and we would protect that time. Time for conversation, time for romance, time to be able to be together. And we would prepare the meal together, and we would clean it up together. It was always kind of fun. And then we had a quarterly getaway. We would set aside money every pay period so that once a quarter we could get away. And, and we found it best to get at least one hour out of town so we'd be undistracted and wouldn't run into other people. And we would, we would go and just get away and do that. Traverse City became, when we lived here, kind of our favorite spot. And we would just go there and have that time. Now we, now we go for two nights, and it's even better. We do that once a quarter to invest in our relationship. Friends, I just want you to know, being intentional about those times daily, weekly, and quarterly is building into your relationship, and you get a return on the investment. It's really, really worth it. It's really worth it. By the way, it doesn't count as a date if you go out with another couple. It doesn't count as a getaway if you go with another couple. Why? Because you're going to talk to them, not to each other. So it only counts as a date if you do it together. Isn't that right? Yes. Yes, there you go. Thank you very much. <laughs> so, a couple things. At the bottom of your sheet, there's some books and resources that deal with the, the intimate physical relationship of marriage that are uh, really from a biblical and Christ-centered way that could help you. And I want to just pray over you before we, before we continue to worship. But I want to ask you a couple questions before I pray. How is your building process going in your marriage? How are you working at constructing an intimate marriage. That's God's desire and God's design. Maybe you need to have a conversation with one another to say, you know, we've been kind of doing it ourselves. We could probably use a little bit of help from God on this. So let's start praying about this and start growing in our relationship. And what's a step you can take with your mate to say, I want to start investing in our relationship, making it a priority. Friends, if you've given up hope, I want you to know God is a God who restores marriages. My mom and dad had a very difficult relationship. When I was 14, they separated. They got back together and continued to have difficulties until they put Christ in the center of their marriage. And I had the joy of doing a 50th celebration um, exchange of vows with my mom and dad. My dad died two years later. He's home in heaven. My mom's still living. She's 95. I want you to know they had given up hope, but God hadn't given up on them, and God hasn't given up on you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your design in marriage, your beautiful, creative giving of a foundation and covenant, you helping us understand what it's like to be able to build on that wisdom, 
to be able to decorate our marriage in the threefold cord, and then to be able to build the intimacy that you designed marriage to be. God, I pray for every couple in this place. If they're newlyweds, God, may they continue to strengthen their relationship in this foundational stage. If there needs to be some remodeling, God, may they be intentional about that. And if they've been living in the DIY and they're trying to do it themselves, it's not working. God, may they turn to you. May they seek wise biblical counsel because you're the one who gives hope and help. So, Lord, we commit them to you in Jesus' name.